I think that there was this assumption from from his side of things that did not line up with what the Vikings were intending Wednesday to be, and it was a real job interview. It was the exact same format, the same schedule, the same people that he would meet with that they did on Tuesday for Giants defensive coordinator Patrick Graham. So, you know, Harbaugh came in, according to sources I've talked to in the last 24 hours, his intention was, I'm going there to sign a contract. And that just, like, was not the case. This was a real job interview where he had to sell the team on him being the best fit for the job. And the fact is, it just did not, you know, both sides did not agree eye to eye on kind of what the entire thing was. And that's why he left Minnesota on Wednesday without an offer. Did you accept Mm -hmm. bonus money for losing games? No. When you say, did I accept? No, because I didn't know exactly, like I'm saying, exactly where this was all coming from until we're in it. And when you say accept it, it's like somebody hands you the money. Money gets directly deposited into your account. Did you accept the money unknowingly? And how much was it? Absolutely. It was a total of $750,000, but it was based on how, you know, whatever those benchmarks you hit. What it was that you got every year from it, I really don't know. because Those things were directed, you know, right into your checking account. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Do you know how much I love Hugh Jackson when being asked, did you accept money for losing? Being like, well, they didn't hand me cash. It just went into my checking account. As if those are two different things. That's like the old college way, right? Like, was it a was it a hundred dollar handshake, or did someone buy mom a car? <laughs> that was Hugh Jackson earlier this morning, by the way, uh, talking to Keyshawn Johnson on ESPN Radio uh, about he accused the Browns of paying him to lose games, just like Brian Flores did in Miami. Except now, main difference is Hugh Jackson is not afraid to say, "Hey." Uh, I did take it. I, I did take it. Not that they handed me cash, but it went into my checking account at some point, and he had an exact number to throw out there in $750,000. Now, we have not talked at all about the actual Super Bowl this week. Don't worry. We'll do plenty of that next week. There was one fun detail uh, this week that I really enjoyed, and that is that the Bengals fans have bought so many Evan McPherson jerseys that they have sold out. A, I love the idea that fans are buying a kicker's jersey. Very fun. You got a guy that's going to say, hey, we're going to the AFC Championship game and then kick your team to the AFC Championship. That guy's pretty great. But how many of them will eventually regret buying an Evan McPherson jersey? Like, when does Evan McPherson miss a big kick and it's like, oh, God, we got a terrible kicker. We got to cut Evan McPherson. If you buy a jersey of an NFL player who is not your franchise quarterback, you get what you get. That's it. <laughs> the average NFL career is three years. You know what you're getting into. Or maybe if you're buying jerseys in the first place, you don't. You should buy. Here's the here's the key. You got to buy the guys that are no longer on the team. Like you got to buy the, the past heroes that had their career and it's over with. And you don't end up owning the jersey of a guy that gets cut or the jersey of a guy that ends up playing for another team. Like, that's the key there, is buy jerseys, players whose who's playing career is already cemented. It's done. Now, you can still get, you know, screwed on the back end when you find out they're just a terrible person after they're done playing. That happens. But if you're buying a jersey, buy old players. That's the key there. Now, 
Are you excited for Bengals Rams? Like of all the all the Super Bowl matchups we could have gotten, this one uh, pretty unexpected. But are you excited for this one? You know what? I'm only excited for one side of it. I'm excited for Bengals. Um, I, I have been tired of the Rams narrative all year long. I, I you know, I, this team has gotten a lot of breaks. I, I think they're good. I don't think they're great. Um, they're not really a team I enjoy watching all that much other than Aaron Donald. Uh, but Joe Burrow and the Bengals? Yeah. Yeah, I'll take a lot of that. Uh, I will take Joe Burrow, ascendant quarterback, over Matthew Stafford. Oh, maybe he's okay now as the reason <laughs> to watch this game. Jamar Chase is fun. That Cincinnati Bengals offense, when they're not running Joe Mixon on first down, is fun to watch. And the whole storyline around Burrow is great. My God, the drip he showed up with to that game on Sunday was fantastic. was awesome. What was the most exciting thing we saw about Matthew Stafford winning the NFC Championship game? Happy shots of him and Kelly Stafford kissing on the field like they just won the state championship. Yay. Sean McVay is back in a big game. Yay. Your granddad got you a job. It's cool. Like, I, I, I can't get excited about the Rams. What if Kelly Stafford throws pretzels at people again? Is that worse or is that better than uh, Brittany Mahomes spraying champagne on everyone in Kansas City? Because I think the champagne thing is so one percenter that it, like you can't get around it. It is. It is. Um, okay. On Joe Burrow and the Bengals, because there's there's a fascinating part here. Their offensive line's not good. He got sacked more than any quarterback in football. And Jeff Schwartz tweeted out this stat from their win over Kansas City. Bengals, or Burrow, excuse me, was under pressure on 40.5% of his dropbacks, according to Pro Football Focus. He only took one sack in that game against Kansas City. Per ESPN, the Bengals only had a 45% pass block win rate on the day. Chiefs were able to create pressure without blitzing. They didn't have to send the next rusher. They did on 16.7% of Burrow's dropbacks. So Burrow under pressure, Chiefs not blitzing, offensive line not good, and yet, only sacked one time. Chiefs didn't end up winning this game. The Bengals are the ones that come back and win in the second half. And what's fascinating to me about it is this, this idea of offensive lines and quarterbacks and how can you work around a bad offensive line? How can you, okay, we know we're going to be under pressure. How do we negate that? You can go back to the Raiders game in the first round of the playoffs. Max Crosby, if you just watch Crosby against their offensive line, Great moves was, it looked like he was killing it. Max Crosby was made into somewhat of a non-factor in that game, largely because the Bengals were getting rid of the ball very quickly. I find it fascinating that you can have a team with a bad offensive line, and basically they just work around. They find a way to, hey, how are we going to win? How are we going to score points? How are we going to get the ball out quick enough to make our bad offensive line just meaningless? Like, we, yeah, we got a bad offensive line. It's not going to matter. We're still in the a we're still in the Super Bowl here. That I find to be fascinating because as far as roster building goes, that might be a way to save some money in a salary cap sport if you're able to do that, if other teams are able to do that. The one thing I would say about the sacks is that, you know, and you've probably talked about this at some point before, it's not all the offensive line, right? Like it does have something to do with the quarterback holding on to the football. No quarterback had been sacked more last year than Joe Burrow at the time that he ended up having that catastrophic injury that ended his year. I mean, he was 
piece to set an NFL record for how many times he was sacked because of that line. But if you look over the course of the season, his average time to throw is 2.65 seconds. That's 27th in the NFL. So he is getting rid of the ball uh, fairly quickly. The question is, are they going to be able to keep him in the pocket long enough against Aaron Donald and this Rams defensive line to get the ball down the field, to kick those shots to Jamar Chase or Tyler uh, Boyd or T. Higgins. That's really going to be where this game hinges because the Bengals want to throw a lot of short screens and things like that to try to avoid the pressure, right? They want to, that's part of what's bringing Joe Burrow's time to throw down. If they do that, I think the Rams have the team speed on defense to negate that. So the question is, what can they do? Can they keep an extra man in? Can Joe Mixon basically be the blitz protector? Uh, hopefully they don't blitz a whole lot because both of these quarterbacks have been fantastic against the blitz this year. Uh, I don't know. I, I, that really is going to be the matchup that determines this game. Should every Bengals possession just start second and nine, assuming they gave Joe Mixon a one-yard carry? The idea that Zach Taylor is getting all this buzz now <laughs> as a potential coach of the year, just because a team that entered the season with a Vegas over-under on wins of six and a half is laughable. Stop running the ball on first down. Like, Nothing takes the air out of that offense quite like a first and 10 run. How many times can you ask Burrow on third and nine to help you out? It's ridiculous. <laughs> I love it so much. It's one of the funniest things because all of this is about how good Joe Burrow has been. They've got Jamar Chase. Like this passing game is explosive. He damn near threw for a thousand yards in two games to end the regular season. And yet, they come out and it's always first down. Here's Joe Mixon for a carry. Like every single, even against Kansas City, even when they're losing by multiple scores, it's, you know what? We got to establish the run. We got to give Joe Mixon a handful of carries here to start this game off. It is, it, it's hilarious because again, they've got Joe Burrow. This offense in this passing game has been terrific. And yet there's still this, we have to run it with Joe Mixon. Do we think... Mark Davis has yelled at Zach Taylor in the past for throwing the ball on first down. Oh, my God. <laughs> has there been any overlap in his career where Mark Davis at some point was mad at a coach for throwing on first down and he took a note of that? It was like, ooh, NFL owners don't like throwing on first down. I can't imagine that the Raiders have a robust analytics department coming off John Gruden and Mike Mayock and now apparently Mark Davis. Like... I'm very curious to see what the fourth down attempts look like with this team, what even like third and short attempts look like, right? When they have third and five, are they willing to go run the ball for three yards or pass it short of the sticks with the idea that, yeah, we're going to get it on fourth down? Uh, are they going to pass up field goals from 20 yards out? Please, God, let them pass up field goals from 20 <laughs> yards out. But maybe that's been Mark Davis all along. I'm still getting over this. <laughs> for those of you that didn't weren't listening earlier, Vic Tafer of The Athletic had a story, uh, a little bit more insight into the coaching decision, the coaching search. And one of them was that Rich Passaccia had texted Mark Davis after the Chiefs failed to score at the end of the first half against Cincinnati, saying, I thought of you when that happened. And apparently, Mark Davis gets very angry when teams don't take the points, when teams don't kick field goals in short yardage situations when they're in close. And we are now summarizing here that Mark Davis is the reason that the Raiders did not go for it on fourth and short. Mark Davis is the reason that Daniel Carlson, what did he kick the most field goals inside of 30 yards this year in the NFL? 
I'd have to imagine. Listen, maybe that's why Daniel Carlson got the extension. Mark Davis is like, we got the kicker, guys. We got the guy that you're, he's never going to miss. So there's no reason for you to tell me you were going to go for it because we got three points guaranteed every time with this kicker. Uh, this is the franchise that not only drafted Sebastian Janikowski as highly as it did, but then kept him around for his entire career. Come on, man. Take the points. Take the points with Daniel Carlson. Coming up next, the U.S. took three points from Honduras. Bischoff's Briefs. Throwing out random numbers authoritatively is the best way to pass as a baseball expert. Bischoff's Briefs. By the way, it's commendable how many baseball players care so deeply about the Equal Rights Amendment. Bischoff's Briefs. Somebody get me some antibiotics because that ball is gonorrhea. Bischoff's Briefs. Minutes. We've got tickets to go see Luke Bryan. So make sure you stay tuned if you want to do that. But now it's time to get patriotic. Adam, don't run away from this. It's your American duty to be excited about our soccer team going to the World Cup. Yesterday, the United States beat Honduras 3-0 in a World Cup qualifier. First off, this game was played outdoors in Minnesota. It was one degree at halftime. It was the coldest game in the U.S. men's national team history, apparently. And it was absolutely absurd. Um, we totally screwed over Honduras. This Honduran team, first off, they got eliminated from the World Cup on Sunday when they lost at El Salvador. They then had to fly 10 hours from Honduras to Minnesota and play a game in one-degree weather. They, according to the broadcast, they did not even like practice outdoors. They did not even go to the actual stadium the game was at until they went to play the game. Like they were, they tried to stay inside and stay as warm as possible for as long as possible. And then they lost the game three, nothing. Like I actually feel bad for Honduras. Now on one hand in CONCACAF, um, the regions and the weather plays a big factor in some of these games because teams like Honduras will schedule games at three or 4 PM when it's over 90 degrees. And when there is extreme humidity and Instead of playing it at night, you know, when it gets a little bit cooler, it's not like this is a country that doesn't have lights for their stadiums. They will schedule games at four o'clock specifically for the same reason we played this game in Minnesota. We thought this gave us an advantage because our players are more used to playing in cold weather, just like they think their players are more used to playing in degrees and humidity. All of it's absurd. Every single bit of it is absurd. We should be playing these sports in the most optimal uh, temperature controlled environment that we can. That should happen. Uh, two players for Honduras actually left the game at halftime because of how cold it was. Uh, but the United States won 3-0. From a competition standpoint, from a qualifying for the World Cup, it worked. Should we have beaten them in nice 65-degree weather somewhere else? Probably, but it worked. I also did enjoy this part of the cold. Matt Turner, the United States goalie, he borrowed the quarterback hand warmers from the Vikings. The Vikings supplied him with like a quarterback hand warmer. And this was like a, this was a story before the game, like of how the United States and how Honduras were preparing for the cold and all that. 30 seconds into the game, the ref made him take it off. Like everyone knew he was wearing these hand warmers and the ref waited for the game to start and said, nope, those aren't allowed. Take them off. 
Didn't really matter. Matt Turner did not have to make a save in this game. Uh, Honduras had two total shots. One came from 42 yards away, uh, but none of them were actually on goal. Now, some hot takes for you. Number one, Christian Pulisic is not the best player on this team. And the United States, the best version of the United States, I think it might involve Christian Pulisic coming off the bench. He didn't start yesterday. He came off the bench. Greg Berhalter left him on the bench to start. Chose Jordan Morris over him. Christian Pulisic has not been very good in this World Cup qualifying window. The first two games, he was probably our worst player in the first game. Wasn't really a factor when we lost to Canada. Um, Part of this hot take for you is that the United States has two other good wingers. When we're fully healthy, Gio Reyna and Tim Weah are both very good and can start at the two winger spots where Pulisic would, would normally start and use Pulisic as a sub. The United States being fully healthy has basically never happened in the last year plus with this golden generation now playing. So that's probably a foolish thing to actually expect. But I do think there's a possibility the United States' best form, their best version, has Pulisic coming off the bench. He came off the bench yesterday, scored, I think it was the second time he touched the ball. I think officially our best player now is Weston McKinney. Um, He scored yesterday. He's been pretty much every World Cup qualifying window. Weston McKinney has been really good, if not the best player of every single window. Uh, He's probably going to be suspended for something stupid during the World Cup, if you remember. He's the one that got sent home during a World Cup qualifying window because he violated COVID protocols. He also, I think it was, he he threw a party. Uh, he plays for a team in Italy. He threw a party in Italy last year and got in trouble with his team back in Italy. Uh, so he doesn't make all of the best decisions. Probably going to get suspended, but I do think he's our best player. Also, I want to tell you how much I love Greg Berhalter. This guy, manager of the Team USA. A lot of people don't like the guy. I love him. He took a picture with fans during the game, like went into the first row, arms around the fans, back to the field, and took a picture. It was phenomenal. Apparently, he got asked about it afterwards. Apparently, they were the fans were asking him to take a picture, and he said, we'll do it after the game. And then the guy was down injured. There was a long delay, and he said, hey, let's just do it now. And the cameras cut to him right away of him taking this picture. And then once he's done, he turned and looked directly into the camera. Like, he knew to look which camera would be on him to see if he got caught, and he knew he got caught. So, United States win. Here's the important part. World Cup qualification. We sit second in CONCACAF's World Cup qualifying table right now. The top three automatically go to the World Cup. Fourth place has to play a one-game playoff to get in. With 21 points, we are four points ahead of Panama. That's the team we got to stay ahead of. The way it sets up right now We play Panama in March. It'll be the second of three games in that window. If we beat Panama in that game, Panama cannot catch us. There is nothing Panama can do to catch us. The only other team that could catch us would be Costa Rica. But for Costa Rica to do so, they would have to win all three games next window. They play us. They play Canada. So that's very unlikely. So most likely for the United States, beat Panama in March, and we're going to the World Cup, and everything will be great. Are you excited, Adam? In the last five minutes, I cannot tell you how much I've accomplished. Um, I was on Amazon. <laughs> I was on social media. We're um, going to the World Cup? Look, dude, here's 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 what the last five minutes have been. If If we were making a college basketball analogy, it would be like we're trying to get to March Madness here, 
and you're giving me in detail information about Big West conference play. Cool. That's great. But I I I I don't know how to set the table in CONCACAF. I feel like that's something you have to learn from from ancestors. But you should care. It's like it's like if this was Northern Arizona and I was telling you how they were going to go to March Madness. I guess uh, they haven't gone to March Madness for a really long time now. <laughs> like I was there the last time they went. Was, uh... You were now, there. Now this, now this all got depressing. Yeah. The, uh, oh, the, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't the la- no, the, their first. last birth was in 2000. Uh, so yeah, not not so much. But uh, no. Look, when it comes to when it comes to the U.S. team, my my favorite part in everything about this is that we're talking about gamesmanship of being able to set the game in certain places at certain times in order to try to psych out your opponent, right? It's too cold or it's too hot. <laughs> Do you know where the World Cup's going to be? Yep, in Qatar. Can't it's wait. It's going to be at 174 degrees in Qatar. That's the <laughs> ultimate head fake. <laughs> but hey, FIFA got a lot of money for that. Don't be worried about it. They got eh, dead money. bodies, whatever. I do want to give you one other detail that I didn't see till this morning. Um, Costa Rica played Jamaica last night. And by the way, Jamaica, can you guys, you know, get a point for us? That would have been helpful. Ah, Jamaican me crazy. I, they're, they're, they're brutal. They played our three biggest contenders for the last two World Cup spots and lost all three of them by a single goal. Just score one more, please. But Jamaica has accused Costa Rica of playing yesterday's game with COVID-positive players. And... Based on what Jamaica said, Costa Rica had some players that like two weeks ago tested positive. When they were leaving Costa Rica, those players tested negative. It had been a couple of weeks. When they got to Jamaica, they tested positive again. And so Jamaica's kind of out here saying like, listen, we don't know if we believe they tested negative when they left Costa Rica, but the players ended up playing anyways. I don't understand how. I don't understand CONCACAF not having like some sort of standardized, oh, you've tested positive, you're not playing. But Jamaica's accusing Costa Rica of playing with COVID-positive players in yesterday's game, which would seemingly be one of the biggest no-nos you can do in 2022. But also, how does CONCACAF not have like actual regulations in place for what counts as a positive test? And that would seemingly be the reason you don't play in the game. Well... Maybe they should be going to the see no evil, hear no evil theories of American professional sports leagues, which are like, you don't have symptoms. We're not testing you anymore. So just show up. Don't cough and keep playing. That sounds like what they did. Coming up next, J.R. Starkus joins the show. Ready for the weekend? Let's find out what's on tap. We can provide you with a wine tasting tour of Tuscany. We cannot change why you drink it's Thirsty Thursday with J.R. Starkus. Who needs a drink? So we drink and we drink and we drink some J.R. Starkus. Extreme mix up with this southern place wine and spirits. J.R., are you glad that your lead in is back to being soccer again? I can barely hear you from this music. There you go. <laughs> Say that again. Are you glad what? Hello. I said, are you glad your lead in is back to being soccer again? Yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled with soccer. Uh, it's my favorite sport. And, uh, yeah, no, I, you know, actually, I'll be honest. Like, like hockey, soccer is a sport that um, I, I didn't really care for much of. 
out until you went and saw it live, right? Um, I was fortunate enough to go to the USA and Mexico game at, at Allegiant, and that's a pretty dope atmosphere. So, um, you know, I, I, I do enjoy soccer. And same thing with hockey. Like, when I was behind the bar, I, uh, when people would come to my bar and say, hey, can you put on the hockey game? This is, you know, well before, obviously, Vegas had a team. And because they were from Pittsburgh and they wanted to watch the Penguins play, it would like make me angry because I was like, why the hell would you want to watch <laughs> hockey when there's a baseball game on or whatever the case is? Now I get it. Like now I'm that guy that goes to the bar and I'm like, hey, where's the hockey game? Like nights are on. Like let's watch that. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I get it. So I'm, I'm okay with it. I'll, I'll take it. I very much enjoy now that I uh, can make bartenders angry by asking them to put on a soccer game. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, it, it definitely infuriates them um, unless they are, you know, super soccer fan like you are. But, uh, yeah, if you ask to turn on the soccer game and without an accent like from England or something that actually cares about soccer, like they're going to like look at you funny. Like, what? why would you want to turn? Why would you want to turn the soccer game on? There's plenty of American sports that are on. OK, I got to tell you what's one of the best stories. I went with some friends to watch. The U.S. play. This is when they beat Mexico uh, in the last World Cup qualifying window. We went somewhere to watch this game. The game was was supposed to be on ESPN. There was a college football game on. And this college football game was going to run long. So the game is also on a Spanish channel that we get here. And we saw that it was going to run long. So we asked them to put the game on the Spanish channel because they weren't going to have a college football game on that was going to run into the start of U.S.-Mexico. And when we asked them to find the Spanish channel, we actually saw them go on the TV and start going in to change the TV to add Spanish subtitles. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> it would, it would, what would have been better What would have been better is when they changed the television, if the sound accidentally changed and all of a sudden the whole broadcast was the soccer game in Spanish when the football game is on, that would have been better. Would have been much better. But yes, we almost had to watch a college football game with Spanish subtitles instead of the actual <laughs> soccer game, regardless of what the announcers or language they were speaking. I also wanted to ask you this. You often come on here and talk to us about uh, famous people and whatever alcohol they're endorsing. What do you know about Dusty Baker's wine? Yeah, so this is a new one, obviously. You know, like a lot of celebrities, a lot of celebrities we know this already, are, are getting into their second passion, which is whatever spirit or wine, in this case, they drink and, um, you know, trying to create something for the masses. Um, I say this respectfully, that a lot of celebrities potentially overestimate their celebrity status um, and think that because they are so-and-so uh, that the liquor or wine is just going to fly off the shelf. And I think that's the biggest mistake a celebrity can make. Now, Dusty Baker has said openly that his, his name sells the first bottle, the quality sells the second. And I, I agree with that, uh, that sentiment. Um, I just hope that, you know, the people who are, are buying house red wine that drink it like that typically skews female. So I'm hoping that his stretch from being a baseball manager um, stretches to a female demographic, uh, you know. So, so uh, you know, if 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 indeed his name sells the first bottle. Now, um, you know, it, I also hope that whatever he's charging, because I don't remember seeing what the retail cost of this particular wine will be, but uh, I I also hope that for him, 
he, he prices it accordingly. Because another mistake that we see a lot of celebrity brands do is they price themselves as, you know, a premium or super premium. And while they may be that, um, until there is some name recognition behind it, it's very difficult to, to pull the money out of the consumer's pocket um, that is loyal to a specific brand already. Um, and once you've made your price, let's say you sell your bottle for $55 at the liquor store uh, and it doesn't go according to plan, it is then difficult to say, okay, now we're $35 because you've already devalued your brand. It's always easier to go up than it is to go backwards. Um, so I would, uh, you know, the other thing I recommend to a lot of, of brands that are looking is like start at, you know, the $24.99 price tier. And if things go well, then you can raise the $29.99 price tier, for instance. Uh, but once you price yourself at 30 bucks and you realize that didn't work and you got to price yourself at 15, uh, then people look at it as like uh, you completely devaluing your brand. So celebrities have to be very careful with the way they do it. Otherwise, uh, it takes a big ego hit. Can we get at some point in the future a review from you of Dusty Baker's wine? Yeah, certainly. Once once I see the stuff in the store, um, you know, I'll uh, I'll see if I can get some my hands on it. And I'll give you a review of it for sure. We'll be he fantastic. seems proud of it. All right. He seems proud of yeah, it. Yeah, he does. I think I'll have to look this up. I vaguely remember just like a detail watching an Astros game. He might own a vineyard or his fan or something like that. I'll have to look yeah, that yeah, up. Yeah, he. He does. He does actually. He owns a plot of land, but it's not big enough to create a massive wine. So he has to source grapes from other places in California um, to to create volume that he needs. So I think his vineyard is, I want to say it's like eighty acres or something, sixty acres. It's 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 good size. I mean, if you're looking at just a plot of land, but in the scheme of growing grapes, uh, that's not enough to create a brand that actually has volume to it. Um, so. You know, uh, you know, he does. He does own a vineyard, though. Yes. All right. What are you making for us today, Jr.? All right. So I wanted to do a, a beer cocktail for you. Um, it, it's you know we're coming. Uh, the reason I wanted to do that I was I was inspired by all of the pool menus and stuff like that that has been um, kind of happening now in our city. We've talked about this many times. The the pool season for us. While we're at the pool a certain time of the year, the the cocktail menu creation and the brands that go on pool menus generally starts in like December, um, January, and February. It's the hot time, if you will, for for um, for cocktail menus in the pools. So, with that said, you know I was inspired by a new product that has recently come out, which is from our friends at Firestone Walker. Um, and it's called Cali Squeeze. It's basically a hefeweizen with fresh fruit um, with it. So you're looking at um, they have three different variants. They have blood orange, they have mango. And they also have what we, in the bar world, called POG, P-O-G, which is passion fruit, orange, and guava as one. Uh, you often see POG as a descriptor on tiki menus because it's a kind of a, a, an infinite flavor combination that really works well. Um, so I wanted to use their passion fruit, orange, and guava variant of the Cali Squeeze in my beverage. Um, so, what I wanted, so what I did is I took a big beer pilsner glass. Um, this glass is going to be big enough to hold the, an entire can of, uh, of beer as well as some, several ounces of modifiers. Um, so a well-chilled glass, I took a, a lemon or lime and I kind of just squeezed it along the rim and I lined it with tahini. Then in the glass, now I, I, there's no shaking or anything for this drink whatsoever. You're just putting ingredients into the glass. It works best if these ingredients are well-chilled so everything in the glass is chilled. 
but you're going to use one ounce of Grey Goose Vodka. And the only reason I'm using one ounce is because I'm looking to give a kind of an odorless, colorless, neutral flavor um, to the beverage, but increase the alcoholic content of it. The beer cocktail will have a higher, obviously, a higher alcoholic content than if I just drink beer. So one ounce of Grey Goose Vodka. I'm using an ounce and a half of Aperol. I've used Aperol many times on the show, the classic Italian aperitif. Um, and both of those ingredients are literally just right out of the bottle, right into the glass that we're building. Um, I'm using an ounce and a half of lemon sour, but I tweaked it a little bit. I did one ounce of lemon juice and a half of an ounce of simple syrup. Both of those right into the glass. The reason I did that is because I'm also using two ounces of pineapple juice. And the pineapple juice will go right in the glass. And the pineapple juice sweetness will kind of be the offset um, that will fill the gap from the half of an ounce of simple syrup to the one ounce of lemon juice to balance it out, if that makes sense. There's enough sugar in that pineapple juice to offset that sweetness. And then open a can of your Cali Squeeze uh, passion fruit, orange, and guava and top it right in the glass, nice and chilled, um, and then garnish it with a lemon peel or lemon uh, wheel and then the tahini that's already on the rim, and you have an incredible like beer tail or beer cocktail um, that is really refreshing. You can you know watch it or drink it while you're watching the uh, the All Star Game this weekend or the Pro Bowl this weekend or or, or whatever's on television. Uh, but it, it's an easy, fun way to drink uh, this beer if you just don't want if you want to do something special to the beer. Um, beer cocktails seem to be becoming more popular now. Uh, and this is a fun way to play with it. And that, that recipe, by the way, will work with any of the Cali Squeeze variants that you choose. So if you choose the passion fruit, orange, and guava, or the blood orange, or the mango, you can still go with the one ounce of Grey Goose, one and a half ounces of Aperol, two ounces of pineapple, and then the ounce and a half of lemon sour. It'll still work. All right. Here's my alcohol history question for you. Is there some sort of history or story behind like lining the rim of a glass with like in this case tahini or salt or anything like that? Well, a lot of the time it would be like lime and it was it was, you know, alleged that lime kept like bees and flies and stuff like that away. Um, you know, so I don't know if it kind of carried over into it. I would assume it's it's kind of made its way into that. Um, but yeah, I mean a lot of like the reason corona with lime is, you know, to keep Kind of the you know they say to keep the the animals away, but to me it just attracts them a little bit more. But I like lime in my beer anyway. <laughs> like I just I don't know I never if if I had never seen it before I never would have considered hey this drink I'm drinking I need there to be salt around the rim or to heat like I it just never would have crossed my mind to do anything like that. So well I mean like salt and, and like bitters right it it helps with flavor. So you know the the salty part of it would be to help help to enhance. And some of the flavors that are already in the beer. So, I mean, when I was a kid, I grew up watching my dad put salt into his beer. He used to sprinkle salt in every single beer. Um, and, and that was just kind of to enhance the flavor. So, to a degree, it does a lot of the same. You actually see that in some cocktails, too. They'll, they'll make a saline solution. They'll take salt and they'll water it down. So, they'll use it as a, in a couple drips or drops into a drink to help increase flavor as well. I never would have thought of that either. He is J.R. Stark is Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. JR, as always, we appreciate it. You bet, guys. Talk to you next week. So there is JR Starkus. And now it's time for Luke Bryan tickets. Luke Bryan is coming to Las Vegas. Tickets are on sale now at AXS.com. But 
We've got a pair you can win right now for a show on Friday, February 25th, coming to Resorts World Theater. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100. If you want to go see Luke Bryan Friday, February 25th at Resorts World Theater, we got a pair of tickets for you right now. Caller number 11 at 702-364-1100. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. Adam, I want you to know those highlights were not in there solely because the Knicks lost. Right. We have kind of sort of adopted the Grizzlies because we love everything about John Morant and the Grizzlies. It just so happens to help that they beat the Knicks last night. So I'm going to tell you what, I watched the second half of that game last night and it's kind of hard not to like the Grizzlies, honestly. Right? Like I, right? I wasn't happy that they were wrecking my team, but every time I thought the Knicks were about to make a run, they did. They got to within five or six multiple times in the second half. It was a different Grizzly taking them down. Like it wasn't just Ja. It was Jaron Jackson Jr. It was Desmond Bain, like Zaire Williams, like <laughs> Stanford. So they're an impressive team to watch. It is. I I hope they're they're actually good. I hope we get a lot of years of this this Grizzlies group being a legitimate team, a legitimate contender, which they look to be this season. All right, uh, it's always my favorite when I hear this during the break. Kira, you got a question for me? I do. I just wanted to know if you were doing the show from the hole in your garage. Oh, is that what it sounds like? Wow. wow. <laughs> There's a little bit of a uh, an echo, like you're in yeah. uh, empty space. So I was like, oh, maybe the bathroom that has a hole in it. Yeah, that, that could be where I did it. But uh, no, then it'd be too cold. I am in a it's kind of an empty room. But no, this uh, this is the this is the room above the garage. So I would have had to somehow drive the car up for that to happen. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. So this is the first show that I've done. Oh. Where we've had the opportunity to talk about this. Ooh. Um, I've seen, you know, I mean, like most of Las Vegas, I've seen the video, um, <laughs> and I just haven't had the opportunity to ask the proper questions yet. Okay, go uh, ahead. For those of you that don't know, uh, my car drove itself into my house. There's a hole in my wall. Um, go ahead, Adam. Okay. Okay. Question number one. What was the first thought you had when the car started moving? Well, you can actually see it in the video that I didn't like believe it was moving. Like it, it took me a solid second and a half to process that the car was moving. And then the second thought after that was, as you saw my reaction, this car's not moving too fast. I can stop it with my hands. Okay. Which leads me to question two. <laughs> uh, you and I are built from the same cloth, and that is a very thin, flimsy cloth. What in the hell made you believe that you were capable of stopping a car? That it wasn't moving very fast. I don't know. It wasn't. I had not planned for this scenario. I was not like, there's never been a moment in my life where I'm like, all right, if my car starts rolling forward and I'm not expecting it to move, what do I do? I thought, you know what? It's probably going like two miles an hour. I got this. I can pull it back by the door frame, can't I? I can't. What has question three? What has been the single most embarrassing moment in all of this? Because there, because there have to have been a lot of them. But what is the moment that will stand out as oh my god, I had to say or experience this? Oh, good question. I mean, I came, I, you know, I talked about it on the radio, so I kind of just laid it out there for everybody. It's well, it won't be long lasting, but I will say the most embarrassing thing for like the week after is I skinned up my knee because what you can't see in the video is I actually almost got back in the driver's side to the brake. Like I was 
about two feet away from getting my foot actually on the brake before it hit my house. And when the car hit my house, it sort of bounced backwards. And I think that my door skinned up my knee. So I had like a, a skinned up knee for a while. So every time I looked down, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's good that you have a physical scar to remind you. I think it'll actually serve as proof to you of why you need to be ready for these situations. By the way, those two feet sound close until you realize what two feet of car in your house looks like. <laughs> Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. You're um, so welcome, Tyler, for bringing it up. I know. I mean, the the worst part is, is had I not wasted time trying to pull the car back, I probably would have got there in time. I just want to thank Kira because sorry, that was really loud. What you what you what you <laughs> couldn't hear on the break was Kira did not give away any of this. She didn't say, "Hey, Tyler, I want to talk about your car." She's like, "Oh, hey, Tyler, I got a question for you." Like perfect, perfect. I did because I was like, I think, I think Adam is going to have some questions. I think he's going to have to be the one to 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 navigate the conversation and get the information he needs. You know what? When I saw it on Twitter, I thought to myself, I actually feel so badly for you that I'm I'm not going to pile on. I'm not taking shots. Like I just. I can't do it because I, I imagined to myself that I would have had that moment too where I thought to myself, oh, I'll just put my hands on the car <laughs> and then realized I am a slight man built from sticks and twigs. Yeah, not that strong. Not that strong. I don't think anybody could have done it, but my house will be fine. <laughs> <laughs>